1: kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply
2: this is what we call a three technique this is what we call a three technique on the ride with roister
3: Longtime red wings announcer bruce martin and he is a bowling fanatic he has had three 300 games as a shot goes from the point and in a goal from nate prosser
0: to make this two to one
2: Nate Prosser, uh, a uh, reliable wild defenseman, gets called up today or gets claimed on waivers by the Minnesota Wild. They're a little short on the blue line. They, they signed that Kyle Quincy, the veteran defenseman, and uh, obviously did not like him too well and ended up uh, cutting him. They got, they got with him. And they waved him yesterday at the same time the Blues. Some, for some reason, yesterday was Wave Players Day in
1: mm-hmm.
2: the NHL. Wow. There must be a certain point where contracts become more guaranteed or something because a bunch of them got waived yesterday. And anyway, Nate Prosser's back. He's not in the lineup tonight, but uh, the Elk River guy, holy cow, how old is he now? 30, 31. 31 years yeah. old already, Nate Prosser. But... Uh, He'll uh, be back in the lineup. Uh, The Wild let him go. The Blues signed him. He only played in one game for the Blues this year. He obviously didn't fit in the mix. So he will be back. Elk River, Minnesota. And to see this guy have this much time in the NHL, consider this, Manny. You came up with the idea that he played at Colorado College, which he did. He played played three years of juniors, Mm -hmm. and then he played four years in the WCHA. His first year at Colorado College, 21 games, no goals, three assists. Uh, So he wasn't—to see a kid like that make it to the NHL is uh, pretty amazing. So he was Isaiah Washington? He wasn't exactly lighting it up, was he, uh, there? But by his senior year at Colorado College, he had 24 assists and uh, ended up uh, making it to the Wild for three games in 2009, two games in 2010-11, Uh, then, uh, 2011, 12, 51 games, 2012, 13, they were sending him back and forth. He got sent back and forth quite a way, quite a while, but then finally 2013, 14, and he was with them for four years. And, uh, he was always the guy they called on when they were mad at somebody else. Right. (laughs) And, uh, now he's, now he's back in that role again. So, uh, congratulations to uh, Nate Prosser. All right, back to the no uh, studio question. Here we go, Mike. You got a question face to face? Go ahead, Jimbo.
0: Yes, yeah, very, sir. Very excited when you came on board with the program. Very excited when you became the head coach. Yes, sir. It's been kind of a tough season, mm-hmm. and I remember watching a lot of your press conferences and how you would talk about how we need to be committed to the program and keep cheering for the team, about <laughs> loyalty to the program. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering. Where's the loyalty to the program, Jimbo? <laughs> <laughs> it's here tonight on Wednesday. <laughs> it's here tonight on Wednesday,
4: Michael. Okay.
1: That's all right. Uh, West Palm Beach. Is trying
4: to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was. Uh... I, I wish you guys and and I posted the video to the to the ride with Roycey show page. Uh-huh. It's a it's Jimbo basi-
2: didn't take it well. Well, they it
4: it, it was like a call in. TV okay. S- slash simulcast yeah. radio show, and they mm-hmm. took questions from the crowd, and people could call in. That's and always a really this good This guy idea. gets up, and he says, where's the loyalty? And somebody comes in and, like, pushes and snatches the microphone from him and
2: oh, sort really? of, like, escorts oh, him out of the oh, building so and everything. He was asking in the audience. Yeah, he was asking.
4: Right, he was in the audience. And they took
2: him out of the place. They, they, they <laughs>
4: snatched. The guy comes in. You have to watch the video. It's fantastic. College guy come, somebody comes in and just snatches the microphone wow. from the guy and like starts to escort him out of the uh, out of the place. So well, that was great. it's
2: uh, Jimbo does seem like a raging egomaniac. Oh yes, yeah. uh, there's no doubt about that. And of course, uh, he did uh, have success there. But uh, it sounds like he's very upset at Florida State for not having a proper commitment to facilities. And that is, uh, there's a sixty, there's a plan for a sixty million dollar football building. Hell, we're spending one hundred and seventy. For sixty million, but it's apparently stalled and it isn't uh, progressing. And that uh, people are wondering why would he leave Florida State for uh, Texas A and M? Well, that's the reason. Apparently, they aren't honoring him with a practice facility rapidly enough. So uh, Jimbo might uh, bail because of that. Go to A and M. Oh, there's another reason. A&M's willing to pay him million. Oh, there's just that little thing too, nah, where they're going to they pay him a pay lot him more. Seven and a half million. The Florida State—they've lost. They lost three recruits yesterday. They had the number nine overall. Uh, of course, it's this is early, so it doesn't really mean anything where you're rated. But uh, they lost three recruits yesterday because of the uh, indecision of uh, Fisher.
1: And uh, maybe just show me the video of them okay. ripping the microphone out of that guy's hand. Isn't it hand.
2: amazing? Oh, isn't it amazing? Well, what
1: are you? You're asking for that to happen asking, when yes. when you have when you have idiots that're gonna they're gonna call in or not even call in, but but ask questions on your show. Don't and be stupid. The guy stupid.
2: isn't. The guy is not threatening in any way. No, right? yeah, no. he didn't swear. He didn't. Do anything wrong at all. Uh-huh. But let's <laughs> throw him out of here. Yeah, just move the hand coming in and snatching
4: the microphone.
2: Man. Nothing will ever top the uh, Denny Green though when uh, you're not going to come on to my radio show. Oh, and man. dictate to me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: we got to lock in. Um, that starts with me, man, and I'll take ownership of everything that's going on because I've been here. I know the standards. that you know, We set here in Oklahoma City. And,
0: um, you know, I have to set them and set example set 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 So, you know, it starts with me, we're
2: going to turn this thing around. Uh, the Magic had lost nine straight games. The Orlando. Remember when the year started, there was this thought, hey, Orlando, they are
4: pretty they good. Blown out they, the Spurs, blew they got out the Dynamic Cavs. young yeah. team.
2: They'd lost nine in a row. And then the Thunder came to town last night, mm-hmm. and Orlando beat them 121 to 108. Uh, apparently, uh, the Thunder was, I mean, uh, Magic was kind of like the Timberwolves against who it was they who made all the threes against them uh, Miami, Miami last yeah. week yeah apparently they didn't guard the three at all and Orlando just made threes all over
4: Aaron Gordon uh, had 40 points and 15 rebounds for the and Magic last night
2: Oklahoma City they bring in Paul George they bring in they they go all in they bring in Paul George they bring in Carmelo they're 8 and 12 and uh the Thunder is 3 and 9 against the West they're 2 and 9 in road games uh, they have lost back to back road back to back games against the Mavericks and the Magic. And explain this to me, Manny. What's wrong?
4: By the way,
2: and they got Stephen Adams too. They got yeah. a center.
4: By the way, the Indiana Pacers and New York Knicks, the former teams of Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, respectively. Yeah, Indiana is twelve and ten, mm-hmm. and the Knicks are eleven
2: and ten. <laughs> to me, he's to me he's the guy who's really the fish out of water, Paul George, because you know, Carmelo's getting his shots and he he'll, yep. he'll always get his shots and uh Russell is doing what Russell does all but uh Paul George is looking like, "Okay, how am I supposed to fit here?" Yeah. And uh but play defense. Boy, the, that's he, what that's he, what he's got to do. Let's go back and look at all those stories written about what great move this was by Oklahoma City to bring these two guys in. And they gave up draft choices and players, and but they were going to win. They were going to make a run, and they were going to get Paul George and Carmelo to stay there. But look out at the trade deadline if if this continues. Oh, they're going to
4: have to, yeah. Well, and if you're the Wolves, you kind of want Oklahoma City to get, like, the eighth seed yeah so that you can get their pick because they that's how they got they got that pick from Utah cuz Utah mm-hmm. had Oklahoma City's pick but it's lottery protected oh okay. so if if you're the wolves you want the thunder to make the playoffs but you want them to be like the eighth seed and have have kind of a worse well, record than have a uh, higher wolves pick the wolves are there
2: uh, tomorrow night so uh we'll uh see if Oklahoma City continues to have no idea how to fit Westbrook Anthony and uh Paul George together or not we Shall return with Kevin Seifert.
4: Field of Power. Horsepower, that is. The Ride with Roycey on 1500 ESPN.
1: Hey, Talk Purple with Kevin Seifert today is presented by Mystic Lake, calling all football fans. Don't miss Thursday Night Lights all season long at Mystic Lake. You can find all the details online at mysticlake.com.
4: Talking purple right now on The Ride with Royce. Kevin Seifert from ESPN. It's Kevin Seifert. Here with Kevin Seifert. We have ESPN's Kevin Seifert. It's ESPN.com's
1: NFL Nation reporter, Kevin Seifert. Presented by Mystic Lake.
2: Kevin Seifert, uh, the Vikings, if they win in Atlanta Sunday, are looking at quite a record for this season. Uh, you know, I, I think Atlanta's better than Carolina, and then after that, the last three without Rodgers around uh, and the Packers buried are uh, pretty dang easy. Did Can you say 14-2 and two or 13-3? and three? Who would have thunk
3: it? Definitely not, and the interesting part of that is that the Eagles, who are the only team ahead of them in the NFC, are getting ready to hit a pretty tough part of their schedule. So you you look at the Eagles, and this week they're uh, at Seahawks, and the following week they're at Rams, and then at Giants. So a three-game road trip for them, Raiders and Cowboys, with Ezekiel Elliott in the last week of the season. So the Eagles have a much more difficult, potentially much more difficult schedule than the Vikings. Uh, which is a very interesting twist, as you uh, note the likelihood of a, uh, of a good Vikings record.
2: And, uh, you know, that Detroit win was uh, really uh, enormous because you get 10 days off. And, uh, I mean, the, the start of the, ooh, everybody's been all season long been looking at this three-game stretch. And now now it can't be a disaster. It can only, and if you win one of the next two, it's, uh, it's uh, clear sailing.
3: Yeah, they very, they almost definitely, I mean, they don't definitely, but they have the, uh, the, uh, they're very much in the driver's seat in the division, which obviously is important for playoff seating, and they're very much, uh, in play for that number one seed, as we just noted, so. That uh, and you know, if you, not to not to get too far, although I noticed your newspaper got uh, already <laughs> toast into the uh, first team ever to, to host its own Super Bowl. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, if you look at that and you say, well, you know, the home field advantage uh, throughout the playoffs, meaning all the way through the Super Bowl, would be uh, an awfully um, an awfully uh, advantageous situation.
2: Well, if that happens, Jeff Hostetler and uh, Earl Morrill better uh, get there. I think Earl Morrall is still with us. Uh, better get their uh, phones ready because they'll be getting back up calls. back <laughs> to take yeah.
3: their team to the Super Bowl, yeah. Yes, yeah, those will, uh, those will be out there. And the interesting thing about the, uh, the Jeff Hostetler one, if I remember correctly, the following year, uh, Dan Reeves, um, or maybe it was Ray Hanley. Ray Hanley was the Giants coach the following year after Parcells resigned. And he went to Hostetler and, and benched uh, and, and benched Phil Sims, and so that uh, is an interesting parallel for what would could potentially happen here. Not even if Case Keenum gets into the Super Bowl, but uh, pushes them along, uh, you know, relatively deep into the playoffs. Uh, would they have any type of decision in the offseason to make uh, in terms of Case Keenum or Teddy Bridgewater? So, how good are these boys, the Vikings? Yes, they. Uh, I mean. You know, I've been saying all along that there aren't many teams in the NFL who can boast of an asset that's better than the Vikings' top asset, which is their defense. Um, you know, maybe Jacksonville, but their you know quarterback situation and their offense is is much further below uh, what the uh, what the Vikings have. Um, the Eagles. Offense is awfully, awfully special, um, but is it more special than what the Vikings defense is doing? I don't know. So, if you were just to make a list of who has the the most suffocating, um, competitive asset of any team in the playoff race, I would say the Vikings defense has a has a pretty, uh, you know, good argument to say they should be at the top, and that's an awfully good place to be as you're in the playoff stretch to have something that's that's at the top of its game to that extent. Because if you look back at all the teams that quote unquote got hot something on their team whether it was their defense playing out of its mind or the quarterback playing out of its mind or a running back or somebody playing out of its mind was the reason that they ended up winning the Super Bowl and right now the defense um you know they've given up uh, some stuff over time but for the most part they are uh, they are healthy uh, yeah. which is important uh and has been a problem here in the past and it really hitting on all cylinders there's not a weakness there and so that If you ask, you know, how good are they? They 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 have the ability to, and they have an asset that can take them, um, can dominate everybody else's uh, at top asset and take them all the way. That's that's how good they are. Um, We'll see if it gets to be that point. We've had lots of examples of um, of teams who appear to have all the 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 box checked and all the all the questions answered. Uh, and didn't make it, but uh, they certainly have that potential as we as we look around. And, and it's all about context. Who was better than them? Who was yes. who is abject better, abjectedly uh, better than them? I don't know if they're maybe the Eagles, but but not by much. If so,
2: what do you like best about Keenum?
3: Um, I like that he has responded well. Well, two things off the field. I like how he's responded to the Zimmer mind game, yeah. um, which is. Yeah I think initially it started that he really didn't want to keep playing Case Keenum and he had always planned to get Teddy back in there but now that he sees how how Case has responded to the to the uh the game by game screwing around with him uh it's become sort of a clumsy parcels type um you know it, it, if he's if that's the way he's going to respond when I Refuse to show long-term confidence in him, then I'm going to continue to refuse to show long-term confidence. In him. And uh, and it's worked. I mean, he's not—he's mentally strong enough that it has not gotten to him. It's not—he's not like getting frustrated. He's not feeling unappreciated. He's—he's he's responding. He's performing, and that—that's been a, a tribute to him. And on the field, um, you know, he—he really—he's he, not the gunslinger that Favre was, or uh, some of the other. We've seen Jeff George, some other relatively strong armed um, uh, gunslingers who just go wild down the field, but he's got, he's aggressive. And when we, you compare him to some other quarterbacks and you watch other, the way other quarterbacks play. I mean, he really does read high to low. And if he sees anything high, you know, which is deep, you know, he's going for it. I mean, I don't think Adam Thielen's having this kind of season without the mentality that Case Keenum has, which is to really pump it downfield. Kyle Rudolph, um, you know, we talked about a few years ago, how with Teddy Bridgewater, how you just have to throw it to him. He's not yeah. going to be five yards away from the guy defending him yeah, right. not type of player. And, and, and he's uh, Case is more than willing and, and, and to take the, 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 whatever, to the extent the risk is to throw it to guys who are either deep downfield or covered uh, deep downfield and, and, and trust that they'll make the play. And so that, has been to me, and a lot of people have talked about his mobility in the pocket and, and stepping away and still holding on the ball until guys get open, but just to see the aggressiveness with which he throws, I think that's been a big key to to their having explosive offense. Those plays don't just happen themselves the quarterback has to have the confidence and the aggressiveness to throw it and we've definitely seen guys here and elsewhere who just don't do that
2: yeah that could come all that could go all the way back to throwing it 60 times a game at
3: Houston too when he's yeah down yeah. there he just and,
2: he threw it everywhere and if they intercepted it once in a while what the hell you know
3: yeah so, that was the mentality and you know and you even thinking back to when he played in Houston he had yeah. a run where he was playing for uh, for the Texans um, uh, yeah he just like he, he likes to throw deep you know he doesn't he doesn't want four yards he wants 25 and that's uh and that's sort of been uh, helped establish a a much more aggressive mentality from this offense than we saw at any point in in previously in the zimmer era so
2: uh the other night i was clicking uh, channels and somehow i ran across uh the old nfl show that used to be on hbo and is now on uh Showtime. showtime and boomer and phil sims were on there and usually uh when Phil Sims is in a conversation, I run away from it. But uh, <laughs> they they got into a conversation about Belichick because they had some tape. They get tape, I guess, from a couple of coaches every week uh, on the sidelines and some other people, and then they kind of emphasize that. And they had a little bit from Belichick. The but NFL Bo- film stuff. Yeah, and then Boomer and uh, Phil Sims started talking about Belichick. He is. An uh, interesting cat, man. He is one of the most interesting, amazing sports figures we've had in, in my lifetime, I think. And uh, Boomer talked about how he didn't really have much of a relationship with him, right? A little bit. I guess he was uh, when Boomer was with the Jets there for yeah. a while. Yeah. But Boomer's dad dies and. The funeral two days later. There's Belichick sitting in the back of the of the of the of the church or the yeah. funeral home or whatever it was. Out of nowhere, you know, hadn't talked to him in a while, and then Sims got going, and he's. Uh, uh, I think maybe because he is committed to giving out no information is how. Is because is how we perceive him as being yeah. this lump. But yeah. uh, there, there's uh, more personality there, I get the impression, than we give him credit for.
3: Oh, uh, yeah. He's a very quirky, um, I mean, personality in terms of the things that he's interested in and the things that, I mean, just to think like this rant, that random gate speech he gave yeah. where he, he, you know, he was uh, quotes from my cousin Vinny and, um, and then like going into a deep, deep level of the ideal gas law, like, you know, where did, what NFL, like, and I don't know if he knew about it beforehand, but he had committed himself to studying, you know, how the ideal gas law works and he did a pretty good job explaining it. And so yeah, we, we see him, you know, ten minutes a day, you know, for four days a week, and that's the way he chooses to present himself. I'm not totally sure why he feels compelled to do that, but uh, and I want to say like they'll be writing books about parts about uh, Belichick forever, but they already are. There's a great David Halverson book about him and his dad, um, that uh, you know, the, the, with the background of Annapolis and the Naval Academy and. Just how Belichick thinks—that was written probably ten or fifteen years ago, I would guess now. And so, but they're going to be writing books about him um, if he ever retires uh, to a, and, and is still healthy and, and willing to work. They're going to be every every company in the in the world is going to want to bring him in for for speeches and leadership and um, you know motivational talks and all that kind of. Thing. I mean, there, there is, I'm sure, so much more there um, in terms of the way he developed um, his approach and, and the way he thinks about football and leadership and, and all those sort of things. So, yeah, there's a lot more there. Um, that doesn't necessarily excuse being, you know, not even a, like, a, like a, well, and it's not even like Greg Popovich, who's almost like a, like a, it's almost like sarcasm. Like yeah. He's, right. He's having fun being a grump. Like, yeah. Belichick really would just appreciate if yes. he was left alone, and that's too bad that he feels compelled to, to be that way. You know, and and most most fans, I don't think care, um, but it, it is sort of the the dominant uh, history that, and, and I think he has a lot of respect for history in NFL films, and you see him in all these NFL films interviews, giving these wonderful answers and and deep thoughts, and um, but but the vast majority of the existing public history of him is as being a complete grump. And I'm, I'm surprised that he is okay with that, with that presentation of him as a person.
2: Uh, the grimace. Would, and they showed him on the sideline and I'm always fascinated because there's so little emotion there, but that little frown he gets, that little grimace he gets when he's really concentrating on how did that happen and how yeah. are, and how are we going to change it? Then you know, and he, and he doesn't write anything down or anything. He must have this. No, he must yeah. have this mind that's unbelievable.
3: There's, yeah, there's definitely a, a part that's like you know, um, what's the word? Um, you know, I, I'm blanking on what the word is. A uh, savant. You know, he's. Yeah. You're definitely. There's definitely some like level of intuitive football. Me- ment- intellectual mentality that he can perform at a speed much higher than everybody else. That is not something that he studied to do and not something that, I mean, it's just something that, he, that is a, it is a extremely unique ability he has to analyze and break down and, and think of solutions. And um, I mean, he's been so far ahead on so many different things. I mean, they've, they, uh, you know, there's more than a few rules that have been written uh, and passed by NFL owners, on the field rule book rules to, to, uh, to close loopholes that he's exposed. And that drives him crazy as well. But, um, <laughs> but like, he, he's just three steps ahead of everybody, you know, either whether on the sideline during the game or, uh, or you know, in creating the, the structure that, and the plays that, the, uh, that they call It's, 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 I mean, there's just an inherent talent there as well.
2: Kevin, thank you. Talk to you next week, sir. Okay. Kevin Seifert, uh, great stuff, as always. Taking the ride with
0: Royce. Guess what? What? We need gas. On
1: 1500 ESPN. And this portion of the ride with Royce today is brought to you by Robert W. Baird and company.
2: Here's Jake Height with a sports update. <laughs> Jake, uh, Well, I thought you were going to call I'm him Clem, too. I'm having trouble with names today. <laughs> no, he doesn't conf- I don't confuse him with Clem. That's right. This, All right. Uh, this update is sponsored by
5: Account Temps. Do you need accounting and finance professionals for long term or recurring projects? If so, Account Temps salaried professional service may be the right solution. Visit AccountTemps.com. Account Temps, a Robert Half Company. Uh, The Wild at home at the Excel Energy Center this evening. They will be playing the Vegas Golden Knights. I'll
2: be there, Johnny. My season debut. Mr. Puck is
5: what Uh, we call you. Mr. Puck. The Twins are adding former Major League pitcher Bob McClure as their senior pitching advisor. The 65-year-old McClure will work with new pitching coach Garvin Alston and uh, a soon-to-be-named minor league pitching coordinator. McClure spent the last four seasons as the pitching coach for the Phillies, before that, he had been a pitching coach of various teams, including Boston and Kansas City. He was the pitching coach of the year Bobby Valentine was managing the Red Sox.
1: Didn't go well. He was a teammate of Twins manager Paul Molitor with the Brewers. So, Pat, is this is he now the guy, the main pitching guy, or do they all kind of work together? Is and it no, a...
2: I think he's Molly's guy that can go talk to the other guys. Uh, it's more of a consultant, it seems like. Okay. And I don't know if he... He's going to travel with the team or what? It sounds like he might travel with them. I don't know.
1: I got it. Maybe it's the triangle of authority. It is. Remember
2: when they we did still that? Haven't, they haven't hired the rover yet. No. Uh, the minor league so, guy? So,
4: so, yeah. Molly was at the uh, gopher basketball. He was at the barn oh, last yeah. night. He's yeah. a big uh, gopher yeah. guy. He loves them gophers.
2: He gives, he's giving them some money through mm, the years. What the hell is yes. he doing that for? I
5: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> From the Star Tribune, uh, St. Paul wants to get in on all the Super Bowl fun, apparently. A 40-foot snow slide at chs field <laughs> oh my a nearby night market with 100 vendors and lawnmower races on ice
2: are among yeah, the events they un- fun they unveiled today should we do it kenny they yeah, were gonna that's, have the win it's like fun they didn't want to spend the 20 million for the palace or whatever it was <laughs> so here's go. a slide yeah sliding is fun what's wrong oh, with well, you sure. no i'm a
5: communist a little bit <laughs> <laughs> uh, So so you should have
2: two slides, one for the kids and one for the drunks. Yes, I like your thinking, Patrick.
0: (laughs) Hold
1: my
4: beer can, watch this.
2: Going down down that slide one more time.
5: (laughs) The Visit St. Paul Convention Bureau's events include activities familiar to devotees of the annual St. Paul Winter Carnival, uh, those include the King Boreas Grande Parade, ice sculptures, the popular Red Bull crashed ice listed as part of the action, and some newer activities center around CHS Field in Lowertown, the uh, home, of course, of the St. Saint
2: Paul Saints. The- uh, that field, that. That ballpark is iconic, and what is interesting is the soccer stadium is already iconic. It too. is. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, incredible. We haven't even put up a pillar yet. Right. It, it even but it's iconic.
5: Yep. Without being built, which mm-hmm. is something. Yes. To...
2: that uh, that offends me. Yeah. <laughs>
5: Minnesota Vikings quarterback, Case Keenum. One He's, of the few things that offends me.
4: I know. There's very few things that really get <laughs> to you. Not many things at all. <laughs>
5: He's the NFC player of the month for November. Uh, he completed 71.1% of his passes and seven TDs over three games. Even
2: if Aaron Rodgers was playing, we got a better quarterback. That's right. We got the player of the month.
1: God, Mackey had a great line. He said that the Packers have Case Keenum envy. <laughs> yes, they do. That <laughs> was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, they had a call in from a guy saying,
2: "Well, he's, he may not Huntley might not be Case Keenum, but <laughs> but he gave it his all.
5: He gave it his all. Yes. Wow, Oklahoma State quarterback Mason Rudolph." Beat out Oklahoma's Baker Mayfield today to win the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. That's given every year to the nation's top senior quarterback. What
2: happens when you grab your crotch at the opening tip off Is that really what cost him this Uh, award?
5: Wow. Rudolph finished the regular season as the leading passer in the FBS. And Patrick's probably right because the award takes into account success on the field and notes that the winners are, quote, judged on their character, citizenship, scholastic achievement, and... And leadership
4: qualities, Mm, all those good. I'm sure Baker will Mm -hmm. probably prefer a national championship. Anyway, is the Rudolph
1: kid? Is he a prospect? Yeah, I
5: think so. Is he? Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Other finalists were Mayfield,
5: Ohio State's J.T. Barrett, North Carolina State's Ryan Finley, and Penn State's Trace.
2: No, Connor Rota. I can't believe it. All right, uh, John. Thank you. You bet.
1: The ride with Royce geared to the automobile, a complex mechanism that must be operated by an even more complex entity. Royce
0: on fifteen hundred
2: ESPN. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Crean is with us, uh, analyst uh, for college basketball for ESPN. Now, Williams Arena was hopping last night, sir. What did you think of that old barn when you came up here with Indiana?
0: I was always one of the toughest places play I mean without question and and not just because of the way it's set up but but uh, because that takes players time to get used to obviously with the raised floor and even as a coach I mean you're not you're used to to me I was used to having my staff being very interactive and <laughs> being up with me and, and it so it takes time to get to to, to used to that but that environment in Minnesota is one of the best in the country it has been since the first time I ever coached in there was against Dan Munson when I was in at Marquette, and right on down to playing against Richard and all the other years in between. It is an incredible environment, and I hope they never change it.
2: And last night, uh, everybody was uh, comparing that to uh, when you brought your team in here and uh, Tubby uh, beat you that one time, and that was about the last jam-packed hang-to-the-rafters sellout they had, too. But uh, they're pumped up for this club, and when you look at the Big Ten right now, you got Michigan State and Purdue and the Gophers. The way it looks, sir.
0: Well, I think what you have, and again, that was a that was a. I don't know if people maybe they realized that last night. Miami is really really Whoa, good. Man, Miami's they really had some good. athletes. They have got a tremendous backcourt. <laughs> Their front court is coming together, you know, and they're not. They don't even have the the great freshman Lonnie Walker back where he's going to be because he's coming off the injury. But Bruce Brown. I think is going to play in the NBA, you know, 12, 13 years. I mean, he's just such a good lead guard, and he's so quick. And, and that was a big win, but Minnesota has got a fantastic team. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. I People are impressed with Jordan Murphy. I've been impressed with Jordan Murphy since his first month at Minnesota. And, and, I mean, there's a guy that you had to game plan for, and he's having a fantastic year, but there's a guy that you had to game plan for uh, from the beginning because of his ability to play on the baseline because of his quickness to rebound. He could drive the ball. He was a deceptive athlete. And when he gets the, the outside shooting at an even higher level, uh, it's going to be better. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, said, so, "Well, where are you going to play Jordan Murphy? And it's the old line. You're going to play him on the floor. I mean, it's not about his position. It's about the fact that he's such a matchup problem for people. But I think, because of Nate Mason, because of what Reggie Lynch has brought to that team, because of McBriar's improved shooting, Amir Coffey is shooting the ball at a really high level. Uh, Isaiah Washington's got to take better shots, and, and and right now they're not going to make a living with him shooting the ball the way he is from three, <laughs> but I mean, he's got to move the ball because he's got one of those great first steps that he can create a lot of things for other people. But... What Richard did in in handling the distractions, handling the tough losses, coming back last year, and and having that team win those games because you remember back when we won the Big Ten two years ago, we had two really close games with Minnesota, and and um, and and he lost those games, and last year he was winning those games, and I think the key for him now is that those kids continue to stay as hungry because they're. They have the ability to get to another plateau in college basketball.
2: Uh, Michigan State in uh, 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 Michigan State and Purdue, I think uh, those are no uh, Nebraska won one too, but the Big Ten got wiped out in the ACC Challenge this year. Uh, do you are, do you think the depth is a little thin here in the Big Ten, or what do you think?
0: Well, I think it's a couple things. I think if, if you're going to look at one that could be surprising, maybe it's because of the Minnesota game last night. But, again, they've played so many tough games already in their season, and and uh, they didn't have as good a night as they would normally have. But I wouldn't worry about that if I'm Minnesota moving forward. And I think the rest of it is there's just a lot of – the ACC has got an older league right now. One Here's a great example, Clemson at Ohio State. Ohio State's got a new coach, but they still have a lot of good returning players. They're building a new program in the sense of, of the way Chris wants to play. Well, here's Clemson, a year ago, that didn't make the tournament, goes to the NIT, goes like 4-11, and 4-12 in close games that were decided by six points or less, and all of a sudden this year they're winning those games. Then they go to Ohio State last night and win a road game. See, those teams have been through so many different things, and maybe and now the Big Ten is going through those. You know, those type of teams... The Big Ten had some really big losses in the sense of graduation and the sense of guys going pro. And it's not always as easy in the Big Ten. I live this. It's not as easy to replace the one-and-done and the and the two-and-out guys. It's not that easy. And and uh, the ACC, it's, it, it happens a little bit there more. But But right now I think the Big Ten will be fine as it goes on, and I think it's great that they open up conference play this
3: weekend.
2: Tom, you're out of the league now, but uh, when you were there, what did you think of a 14-team league where Minnesota is as likely to play Rutgers twice as Wisconsin? Uh, do you think do you think divisions would have worked in uh, Big Ten basketball? Because it bothers me that uh, uh, the Gophers aren't playing Iowa twice and Wisconsin twice uh, a lot of years.
0: Well, I don't personally, personally, Tom Crean, I don't like the divisions in football. Right? I don't like I- I get the divisions, but I don't. I never liked the way that they were structured. And,
2: no, and, no, not and, if I was the Indiana football
0: coach, I wouldn't like it either. I'll tell you yeah, that. Yeah, but I didn't even. I didn't even look at it from that perspective. <laughs> it just. I think it's it's so unique on that other side where my brother in law's at with Ohio State and you know, all that. So yeah. to me, I don't like divisions um, unless they're really thought out. I also don't like the fact that somebody can finish 14th as a coach. I think if the divisions were really thought out. It'd be one thing, but I, I, I've always been for the protected rivalries. I've always been for that. But at the same time, when you really look at it on the other side of the street, Rutgers has got to be able to build their program, too. They've got to be able to have – they've got to know they're getting high-level opponents that are that are perennially you know, strong Big Ten teams in their arena, too. So I don't know if there's any great answer. Uh, personally, I don't like the 20-game schedule that's coming unless every power conference team – It's got the twenty games. I was never for, I was never for eighteen unless everybody else was doing it because I do think the eye test, you know, at the end of the day with the NCAA tournament can come can get in, and I do think wins matter, and but that's for another day. But uh, I, I would you 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 definitely want to see Minnesota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, you know, whatever those are, Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue. You want those, and and you hope that moving down the road you never lose those.
2: Hey, Tom, uh, you were in Marquette, of course. Uh, nice run there. I thought, uh, this is just my opinion, but I think putting together that 10-team league, the Big East, did, basketball-centric, that's one of the great moves in college basketball in the last uh, decade with all the chaos that's taken place. Put together a basketball league like that, and uh, you, it's pretty dang good.
0: I agree. I totally agree. I, I think that the Big East is uh, it's got teams right now that the people in the East, when they get a chance to see Xavier, when they get a chance to see Creighton, when they get a chance to see Marquette, Marquette's always had a flavor in the, in the big East. It was, I think New York was always the third largest uh, place for Marquette students outside of uh, central Wisconsin and Chicago. So when they, when they see that, they see just how good that league is. I mean, Xavier, Creighton, those teams are high, high level teams. To go with what already is in that league,
2: uh, Tom, you were a bit excitable on the sidelines as a coach. I don't think you'd be offended for me to say that. And not at uh, all. do you can't. do you miss the pain and the gut for this year where you're not coaching? Do you miss the anxiety that went with uh, coaching a basketball team or the preparation? What do you miss the most?
0: You know what? Probably the competition. And mm-hmm. even the other night, the other night was my first game, Northwestern at Georgia Tech, and it was a buzzer beater. And I, had, I, was, I was not nervous. I was anxious. I, think I, felt, I felt good with that. But, like, I could feel the intensity. I could feel the intensity of the game, even sitting there with a headset on. And I love that. You know so, But I think I miss, uh, I miss being on the court on a daily basis. And I had a chance to do more of that with different players, you know, from my former players and things like that that, I, that are in the NBA now and in the summertime. So I miss that part. But uh, my, I haven't missed the stomachache yet. I'm sure I but I do miss the competition. But I love the intensity of it, and I have absolutely loved the, all the learning that I'm getting to do right now from not only college basketball, from all the other areas, because I don't have, I don't have the responsibility of my own team, or that, or that, uh, I, I don't have that emotional attachment to one team. So I got a chance to really dive in and learn a lot of things and i feel good about what i'm learning
2: one more thing about standing by yourself up there as a coach at williams arena you know who hated williams arena more than anyone judd heathcott (laughs) the great judd who we just lost and was one of the great characters of all time he hated the elevated floor at the barn
0: i know but i was a part of one of the great wins i've ever been a part of when i was a graduate assistant in 1989 90 and we won in there. They had Willie Burton, Kevin, oh, Lynch, yeah. the, the whole group. And we won a game in there on a Saturday <laughs> after beating Michigan on a Thursday. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. They came out with an, a, a late-game play. And Tom Izzo was scouting the game. He was the associate head coach at that point. And he called the play in the huddle that they were going to run. It was going to be a step back for Willie Burton off of a screen. And he called it. We defended it perfectly. We won the game. That was one of the – it (laughs) wasn't great for the Minnesota fans, but it was great for that Michigan State bench that night. I'll I'll never forget that game.
2: How was working with Judd?
0: Uh, I I grew to to learn how valuable that was probably constantly after I was there. I was only with him one year. I looked up to him such a great deal when I was young, growing up there. But I look at the ideals. I, I would say this about him. And and Izzo's got so much influence with this. Others do with what he's done. Judd Heathcote was way ahead of his time when it came to fast break, when it came to matchup zone, when it came to guard skills, when it came to to doing things, you know, making off-balance shots, you know, wrong foot, wrong hand type of things. He was way ahead of his game in making those things fundamentals and making them great skills. And I think he influenced a lot more coaches than just the ones he worked with, and I'm glad that I got to do it for a year.
2: Hey, Tom, thanks for your time. We'll probably see you in the barn this winter.
0: I I don't know. I'd I'd love it. I mean, I don't know what my schedule's (laughs) like in there, but but, uh, I'd take it.
2: Okay, sir. Thanks. Thanks. Tom Crean, uh, who's now an analyst, and uh, he'll be back coaching. I don't think he's going to uh, be able to avoid that. Do you, uh, Chris Reavers?
1: No, in fact, I think, I think he, he would have taken the opportunity to do it last night <laughs> had he had the chance. <laughs> yeah, but he, right. but I, I will say this, Pat, and I, I watched the the game he did, the, his very first game, I thought he was great. Yeah, I really did. it I got, him for,
2: a, I got a, uh,
1: I haven't heard him yet. Because so. you know how these guys, that when they transition from whether it's being a player or a coach or whatever, it takes them a little time, but he's
2: fantastic. Well, he, uh, he lives basketball, and of course... His brothers-in-law are uh, Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh. So those, I always thought I'd love those candy. I'd, I'd love I'd love those uh, family Christmases, wouldn't you? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> There's a little intense. Patch the turkey. <laughs> this holiday
4: season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to two hundred dollars off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit onepeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at onepeloton.com.
1: At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub,